Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with John Harrington. Welcome to a special edition of the PR Show, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm John Harrington, the editor of PR Week UK. This show is about working practices in PR and has been published alongside the winners of PR Week's Best Places to Work Awards. You can look at the winners on our website, prweek.com. Congratulations to everyone who has won, and thank you also to everyone for taking part. I'm pleased to say we have three of our expert judges from the awards here to discuss what the process has taught them about working practices in the industry. We have Alison Clark, uh, who's worked in the industry for over 25 years, uh, including a time as UK and Ireland CEO of Grayling and Chief Executive of Weber Shanwick APAC. Uh, Alison now works as a non-executive director and comms advisor. She was one of the judges in the large agency category. We have Jane Fordham. Uh, Jane spent 15 years at Golin, where she was heavily involved in a lot of the working practice innovation there. She now runs Jane Fordham Consulting and was one of the judges in the mid-size category. Uh, Peter Bowles uh, co-founded tech specialist agency Dynamo in 2008, uh, which is latterly bought by Clarity as part of Clarity. Um, he is a previous Best Places to Work winner at Dynamo and was one of the judges in two specialist categories, training and develop and mental health. Uh, welcome to you all and thank you for taking part. First question I'm going to ask is to immediately address the elephant in the room. How well do you think the best employers from your experience have adapted to working practices um, in this time of the coronavirus? John, it's, it's Jane here. I'd love to, to kick off if that's okay. I think the, these awards, quite obviously, are a phenomenal way to separate the, the average PR employer from, from the exceptional. Um, and I thought it was really quite clear, actually, that the, the, the timing of our, um, our judging panel was, you know, a couple of weeks into lockdown. And I thought it seemed, at the risk of oversimplifying, 
that those shortlisted that were already ahead of the curve on mental health and well-being, flexible working, uh, employee communications, and I think specifically organisations that are very much values-led, um, that the lockdown and remote working and, uh, and COVID and so on has simply been an iteration of existing working practices. Um, and it was actually a joy and delight to hear most of the agencies that I spoke with um, simply extending pre-existing uh, ways of working. Great. Well, thank you for that. It's, it's certainly something that I noticed as well, listening to the um, uh, to the uh, to the responses. There's certainly a lot of this seemed to have happened already, but this was the first kind of really big test. Um, does anyone else have any any views on that and any sort of particular? Uh, policies or approaches perhaps that they thought um, were sort of notable uh, when it comes to adjusting to the new reality? Well, I, I was very interested in the specifics of what different agencies ha had really been carrying out. Um, for us at Clarity, uh, when we made the decision to all work from home, um, which was, you know, maybe two weeks before the the, the government did lockdown, uh, you know, we are really worried internally that, you know, is this the right decision? Are we going to look like hypochondriacs and everything else? So I think it was really telling the agencies that uh, did allow staff to work from home earlier. Um, and then I thought there were some really nice initiatives by individual agencies. So, for example, one agency uh, did a phone call. They're doing weekly phone calls just with the parents in their agency uh, because they're all, you know, at home, homeschooling and all that, have all those added pressures. Um, and I think that, that that was a really nice idea. So you, you saw, as, as Jane said, uh, some of the best agencies really with great practices at home as well. John, can I just uh, chip in here as well? I um, I agree with um, I agree with what's been said. I I think it's been testament to some amazing leadership um, across the consultancy world that we all know because great leaders have had to deal with uh, operational challenges um, uh, and and making sure that the reality of working remotely for everyone. Uh, uh, actually works. Um, they've had to very much focus on their people and keep them connected and supported through a very challenging time, particularly at the outset when I think it was uh, we were all in shock. Um, they've had to love their clients but also help their clients through their pain barriers and for some of them that's then had a significant impact on the commercial reality for the consultancy. So for me, I've seen some amazing examples of agency leaders really stepping up with really sound judgment, sorting out what's important from what's urgent um, and providing amazing leadership and amazing connections. So I, I'm hugely proud of so many of the businesses that I work with, but I've also observed from afar because I think they've done a cracking job. Great. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I agree. I think there's been some superb um, examples of, uh, of really good, good leadership in, in recent weeks. Um, and a big part of this, I think, um, relates to supporting the mental health of um, employees. And obviously, this has been a big, a big topic generally um, in the industry and elsewhere um, in the last couple of years. But um, it strikes me that it's kind of uh, even all the more important in this time of the lockdown. Um, in sort of general terms, how would you, how would you say um, employers have, have responded to sort of mental health challenge I suppose, um, in recent years, because obviously we had a specific mental health category this year, um, but it's an issue that kind of 
uh, is involved in lots of different areas of this this topic. Would anyone like to sort of um, give a kind of an overview of how they think the industry has been uh, handling that challenge? Well, John, I, I judged the mental health category. Um, and by the way, I think mean, it's a, a, a great thing that PR Week now has an individual category in this area. Um, I, I suppose what I was looking for really was, was agencies actually um, giving a bit of, of solid detail as to what they do for mental health. I think we're all aware in the industry that this is a, uh, a huge area that um, in more recent times, businesses uh, and our clients are, are under a lot more pressure to get this area right. Um, but the agencies that showed they they had the best mental health initiatives, they really talked in a, a more nuanced way about mental health. Um, they talked about anxiety, post-traumatic stress, um, dyspraxia, all, all sorts of much more detailed areas of, of mental health. And you didn't necessarily uh, see that with some entries where they were just a bit like, we do mental health, and, and there wasn't really much substance be, behind them. Um, and just one extra point is, is I think some of the agencies had um, in, uh, dedicated mental health first aiders. Um, and I found that a really, really impressive initiative. Um, it isn't something that we have a clarity at the moment. Um, but I think as a result of this, uh, it, it's something that we'll look to introduce in the next year, I would, I would hope. I judged, uh, it was a different category, but um, uh, for the last couple of years, and I know that when I was first involved in the shortlist, mental health first aiders were sort of few and far between, and people were shortlisted because they had one. Um, and I was really struck this year um, in the category that I judged, but also having now looked at the summary of the other shortlisted entries, how, how pleasing it is to see that, uh, as Peter's just said, um, agencies are really kind of putting real effort into, into the promises and just how many mental health first aiders there are across the consultancies and how much more prevalent they are than I recall being the case one year and, and two years ago. And there was one particular agency that I, I was delighted to see didn't just have a comprehensive programme, but actually led from the front with leaders sharing their own personal stories of their mental health challenges and issues, some of them being historic, but some of them still being current in order to normalise it. And I thought it was incredibly refreshing that a leadership team was prepared to be that open and, and candid with their workforce in order to normalise um, mental health issues. I was, I was really impressed. It's a really good point actually. I think um, when it comes to things like mental health it, it does feel like it needs to be something that very much comes from the top as well as supported from the, the bottom and the sort of mid ranks I guess. Um, and I think you can you, you can sort of tell those agencies or I could when I was listening through that really um, it really meant something to the founders and to the, to the agency leaders and they really got on board rather than just having it as a, as a tick box exercise. That makes me think of data, great data that you and the PRCA put out, um, correct me if I'm wrong, every January. Um, and thinking about the data from this year and the data from last year, I remember getting particularly animated, shall we say, last year. Um, when one, and I'm going to misquote the exact question, but essentially it was, it was asking leaders um, how good a job they were doing in terms of structure and policies and strategies around mental health and well-being. 
And then it asked uh, the people on the shop floor the same question. And I remember at the beginning of 2019, there was a yawning gap of more than 20% about um, rather self-congratulatory leaders suggesting that they were doing a great job because they had free fruit and they probably had one mental health first aider. And actually, um, people on the floor did not feel that, that um, they were doing um, quite so well as, as, as their leaders would suggest. And I think in just, well, obviously less than um, 18 months, there is a massive, massive difference. Some of the other elements, if we come down to a sort of tactical level, things like, do you have a mental health or, or, or wellbeing strategy? Um, have also changed significantly and how willing are you to um, talk to your line manager or is there somebody line manager or, or other within the workplace that you feel comfortable to talk to um, so I think I agree with you I think the pace of change and um, that, that we've gone from sort of senior lip service to actually leaders um, walking the walk and really believing in this stuff is is phenomenal um, if you don't mind, there were just a couple of examples that um, from, from my category that I thought um, really, really stood out. Um, Manifest have a chief happiness officer um, and their, their benefits package um, in, in itself is entitled Balance um, includes many different elements um, with all with quite a degree of personalization, which I think is, is key and important here. Um, including one month paid compassionate leave, which is at, at the discretion of, of, of the team. Um, and several also had quite stringent out of hours email policies, um, which are a starting point. They have to actually be lived. But again, I thought that was a real stake in the ground. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. And um, I've, I've, I've written a piece that argues that mental health policies can't be, um, can't be seen in isolation effectively it, it feeds into everything about the whole structure of an organization and um you know things like uh, out of hours emailing and you know the appropriate leave and holiday time and almost every policy somehow feeds into this so um i feel it's a real kind of catalyst for change in, in recent years um does anyone else kind of have, have comments on that um and how maybe this is one of the, the sort of key drivers of uh of, of change in a positive way in in the sector, I I think that um, there there were some great individual policies when you look through the different different entries, um, but what actually resonated with me was was one agency said you know there's a lot of of gimmicks in the industry as well, and so we can be very creative and come up with original initiatives and chief happiness officers and, and what have you and sort of brand things up a bit but actually the agencies that really impressed me they had a lot more depth to what they were were doing and, and they told some really great personal stories about how their organizations um run um and and that that's really the, I think something you're looking for as a judge as well is uh, coming away with that feeling that oh I would really really love to work at your company because you really look after staff really listen to them um, and 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 are spending time with people and, and making sure that their their careers are growing properly so uh, yeah there's there's quite a few gimmicky things in the industry but it's great to see agencies that that move far beyond that. I would agree with Peter on that and I think uh, 
uh, over and above the, the creative solutions, and there were plenty. Um, I was really pleased to see that how many agencies also recognised that there are occasions when access to experts is clearly needed, and it needs to go beyond something that you've given a name in, in the consultancy. So I was encouraged by the number of consultancies that now have employee assistance programmes in place. Uh, and, and I know from my own experience in recent weeks that uh, now people are actually working remotely and how many of those are finding real challenges with mental health as we are uh, well into this lockdown period. Those EAP programmes have really come into their own because there are occasions when you really need to be able to access experts over and above your colleagues. And I think that's really encouraging. I think picking up on the, uh, the the gimmick point and um, excellently articulated, Peter, on you know listening, I think that this leads to a bigger um, a bigger strength of many of these entries is organisations and leaders that really really listen to their people on a regular basis, listen and then act. Um, and another one of my um, sort of key indicators um, when we're looking across these entries is you know I think the figure that that you can't really hide behind is, is your turnover rate. So if any of these um, creatively named uh, you know, um, initiatives and gimmicks are not really responding to what your team need, then the data will tell you. And the majority, I wouldn't say all, but the majority of entries did seem to demonstrate staff engagement surveys, um, you know, uh, staff satisfaction surveys, poll surveys, and, and other mechanics to have that regular two-way dialogue. Um, and, and as I say, it's, it's very hard to hide behind some of those mechanics. So are people staying with you? And in, in some cases, are people coming back to you? Some you know, boomerang employees, are very, very strong examples of those. Um, and, and are you listening to your staff and hearing what they're saying and then iterating your programmes accordingly? Moving on a little bit, were there any um, other, I appreciate this is a broad question, um, but were there any other individual policies uh, or practices that caught your eye during the judging process that were particularly innovative, um, that really kind of pushed things forward in, in a positive way? I've got one, if I can kick off. Um, I mean, there were many, uh, and I did think the quality of the entries was really high, and I'm not just saying that. But uh, everyone who's shortlisted, uh, and I'm sure many others, were very focused on learning and development opportunities, as you would expect. And there were some really comprehensive programmes, universities, courses, access to outside providers. But one thing that I thought that caught my eye, that I thought was particularly powerful, was Fleischmann Hillard Fishburne's Shadow Board, which is a, a peer elected group of next generation leaders who actually co-create the agency's business strategy alongside the executive leadership team. And I just thought it was a brilliantly simple idea, uh, really meaningful, giving that next gen of leaders access to the leadership team, but playing a meaningful part in driving the agency's strategy. So uh, the shadow board did it for me. I thought it was a terrific initiative and it's clearly working extremely well in home growing their next generation of leaders too. I thought, perhaps not surprisingly, all pervasive currently, remote working and, and flexible working, agile working and all associated semantics were a key theme. Um, but I thought where an agency had truly, truly gone above and beyond and lived, uh, you know, really lived the moniker was Hotwire. Um, and they specifically articulate their approach um, in terms of thoughtful working. And it really, really works. It's not just lip service. You can see that the vast majority of their staff were already um, embracing some form of flexible working. And again, it was a sort of seamless transition as, as lockdown hit. 
Um, and what struck me about it essentially is it's a common sense, trust-based and impact-focused approach. So you work wherever you need to work, when you need to work in order to do your, your, your job, as long as you're, um, you're communicating your working patterns and location. Um, so yeah, they almost described COVID-19 um, as being business as usual. Um, I was also going to draw on, um, and there's some slightly uh, dubious language coming up, but I think it re really made me smile and, and brought the, the point to life. Again, with Manifest, um, and with my, my other hat, I, half the week I'm um, head of people at um, Hanbury Strategy, and we've been thinking really hard about how to onboard people successfully remotely. Um, but at Manifest, there's a £1,000 bonus uh, for the person that makes you feel most welcome during your onboarding process. Um, and they articulate this brilliantly in terms of one of their values. They don't want any brilliant dickheads, which I, which I really loved. <laughs> um, and finally, from Manifest again, actually, um, is an equal approach to parental leave and parental policies. Um, and uh, perhaps no surprise, John, as a, as a um, committee member for, for Women in PR, I think one of the real key opportunities and drivers to gender equality at every level and every guise in, in our industry is precisely that, an equal approach to parental policies. On that, can I just um, add, I, I, I was also impressed that consultancies um, are, are also focusing on non-parents as well. And I think that you know, I'm a parent and, and I think that there's been a lot of discussion appropriately so around parental leave um, and, 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 and equal shared opportunities. But it struck me this year, perhaps more than in previous years, that people are recognizing that there are non-parents who also need flexible support. They might be carers. There may be other reasons why they need a degree of flexibility. And I was quite encouraged to see that that's Seem to be coming more to the fore this year than I've seen before. Great, no, this is, you're right. It's a very, um, very positive move, and I, I, I agree. I, I felt the flexible working um, theme just came out so prominently, um, even when we weren't discussing the coronavirus um, throughout the process. And I, I think definitely having worked on it for a few years, that's something where it was very much more of a novelty, um, maybe three or four years ago. Um, and it feels like, uh, along with mental health support. Is becoming much more mainstream, certainly among the best employers. I suppose one question with this whole process is, by almost by definition, we're looking at, at the best of the best when it comes to this process. Do you think there? Um... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. These practices, we say they sort of, we see them as increasingly mainstream and normal. Do you think actually they are more unusual than this process suggests? Do you think there is a, a big kind of uh, chasm between the best employers and, and the worst employers? Or do you feel that generally a lot of these things are becoming more mainstream across um, the agency and in-house world? Um, I'll, I'll jump in on that. I think I, I think these processes, particularly on things like areas like mental health, are becoming more ma- mainstream. Um, but... Uh, if you were to take other areas, say on training, um, there's quite a big gap between some agencies like uh, CC Group do a great job putting a huge number of their staff uh, through CPD qualifications. I think they had something like 17 people uh, that had got CPD qualified that year, which I think is an enormous number considering the, uh, the size of their agency. Um there's quite a big gap, I think, between a situation like that and some of the, you know, potentially much larger agencies where very few people are CPD qualified. So, um, so I, I think there is possibly quite a big gap um, between the best of the best and, uh, and and some other agencies out there. Uh, but certainly, I think on mental health, the message has got through to the industry to work on this area right right across the board. I think, yeah, mental health, we've probably made the most progress on. I think I concur there. Flexible working, I think there is still a degree of flex washing. Um, So there are some agencies who say the right thing, have the right titles, but I think it's it's that difference between, um, you know, strategy, uh, policy, and actual sort of cultural and behavioural change. And there are perhaps individual managers on the ground who don't really believe it. Um, and so sort of by inference or, or perhaps by, um, you know, by guilt, um, what, what is seemingly uh, awarded is, is kind of, um, uh, you know, chipped away at and, and people don't feel that they actually have the true freedom to work in, in a way that's most appropriate. So I still think there is a little bit of a chasm and, and difference and, and work to be done on, uh, on flexible working, as I say, flex, flex washing. Jane, don't you think that's really going to change, though, as a result of this? Because how can anyone, after COVID, say, well, I don't accept that you're not in the office every day when we've just proven that we can operate for 10, 12, how many weeks this is going to go on for? Don't you think actually this is going to really change all of that? Because nobody, having had people successfully working remotely, can now say, you've got to be in the office. I really, really hope so. And I am an optimist and also a huge proponent of this. So I think I think the pendulum is going to swift, uh, uh, swing and, and shift to an extent. But um, I'm also a realist about, you know, the, the economic uncertainty and difficulties that are upon us already and are going to be, you know, there for many, many months and possibly years to come. So I think there will be some certain economic drivers. And, you know, we, we've often talked about the talent war in, in PR. And I think probably that's um, going to change slightly in, in the short and medium term. Um, and so, you know, there, there, there may be um, individuals and organisations um, because 
um, you know, there are that there may be more um, more talent out there who don't feel um, who don't feel compelled to, to seize the day and seize the opportunity quite in the way that we might hope, Alison. But my, but I, I still concur with you that this should represent a leap forward. I live in hope, Jane. <laughs> I think it's it's going to be so hard, isn't it, for employers and, and agencies to, after this period, just say, OK, well, you can't work from home. Um, so it's going to cause a huge change in the balance of power um, in, uh, within workplaces. Um, although also at the same time, there's a kind of funny aspect to this. I saw a, um, saw a tweet a satirical tweet, I think, today that said, um, you know, 20-year-olds 20 20 year with no kids think working from home is a great idea. Um, so, uh, you know, it will be interesting to see how things change when we all go back. There's actually a really interesting stream. I highly recommend it if you haven't come across it. The World Economic Forum um, are putting out a lot of uh, sort of design-oriented content, specifically around workplace design. And what this means for uh, you know for the new normal, and um, th there's fascinating sort of prototypes that that some architects are putting out there already. That when we do start a, a phased return of some description, um, that office design will need to change, and we're probably not all going to be back in the office in the same volumes at the same time. So it'll almost be like supermarkets with sort of concentric circles around your desks. So the years of um, desks, you know, average desk size being reduced is actually going to be halted um, when there'll be, you know, sort of uh, exclusion zones around your desk. So and, and, and many other far more interesting sort of subtle design changes. So um, it's fascinating space to observe. And Jane, the interesting thing about that, aside from the, 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 the ambience and environment of the office, is that ultimately for consultancies, this is an opportunity to reduce costs without feeling any yes. pain at all. I mean, if yep. you, you and I have both worked in big consultancies where there is a square footage per full-time equivalent mm -hmm. that, you, uh, that you line a landlord's pocket on when you actually move offices. If yes. we move to these new models, and I, I've read that, and, I, and I, I agree with you entirely, this will be a new normal. Normal. And that, frankly, means that when we renegotiate space, we won't be we won't be negotiating space for every full time equivalent we have because they will no longer all be in the office at the same time. They weren't all in the office actually before this, but we were still buying space as if they yeah. were. So I think this is going to fundamentally not just change the way offices look and operate, but frankly, it will give a helpful fillip to most agency P and Ls. Mm. I, I think it's going to it's it's going to change the way you know many offices look forever. Really, I think you know you're going to start thinking: Do we need uh, you know more technology in the office? Do we need VR headsets so you can do a a virtual brainstorm and and what have you? Which I think we're we're a little way away from at the moment, but I think will come in the next few years. Um, and, and I'm quite interested in seeing what will happen when we go back. Um, if people are going to be super hygiene conscious. So on one level, there will be a push from agencies to um, uh, to have more hot desking in some respects because certain people will be working from home always. Um, but on another level, from employees' point of views, whether they want 
to sit at any old desk and pick up someone else's rubbish and, and things like that. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm really obsessed with greetings as well after coronavirus. So are we, I, I think the air kisses and the huggers are going to struggle in the PR industry. And it's... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, surely not. You know, we'll, oh, we'll have to see, won't we? the world as we know it then. My goodness me, if we, if we can't yeah. do that, that's the end. That is really good. Uh, what, what are we here for, uh, Peter? <laughs> I, I won't i won't miss any big huggers in san francisco to be honest with that. <laughs> fair enough well great stuff um more generally uh, where do you think more improvement is needed in terms of working practices among uh the best and i guess not the best of the uh pr employers out there i think one thing that um struck me is uh, on the issue of diversity, um, particularly around our industry's kind of um, uh, inability to really make progress regarding um, ethnic uh, minority diversity. Um, does that strike you as something that where a lot of action needs to be taken? And, and if so, how do you feel the industry should, should start to um, handle that more effectively? John, can I come in there? Um, I, I, when I was going through the, the, the questions, I, that's the first thing I wrote down against this particular question. It, it is definitely diversity and inclusion. And I would say across the entries, whilst there are some undoubtedly good, good, um, good initiatives, uh, and many are uh, partnering with the PRCA Schools Outreach Programme. The reality is that consultancies in general talk about diversity, but not many of them have really changed to a significant degree their recruitment um, processes and programmes. And I think as an industry, we've got to collectively get out there more and make more people aware of this as a potential career for them. Um, and I was just disappointed that that hadn't really advanced as much as I rather expected it would have done. I'm very much with you, Alison. That was, uh, yeah, my, my first bullet, actually. Um, and I guess, as ever, I, I sort of break this down. Um, I mean, th th this is a marathon, naturally. We are, we are looking at sort of structurally, fundamentally changing um, our pipeline. And, and that takes time and, and you know, um, generations really to, to significantly change. But um, breaking it down as, as, as you've done into sort of what you're able to do at a micro uh, organisational level, which is, well, it's the employee, entire employee life cycle, but absolutely recruitment is a key driver to, to change there. Um, and there are some great there are some great initiatives and work work going on there, but a long way to go. But I think um, quite obviously, arguably the bigger challenge is is at the the macro level um, in, in terms of the industry and and kind of beyond. <clears throat> Excuse me, where. We need to. We have to collaborate and work together, and, and even work with policymakers in order to shift the pipeline and the perceptions over the real, real long term. And there are obviously, um, you know, uh, you, you've listed some of the organisations there, but but work with the, the PRCA, um, CIPR, um, and, and other sort of intermediaries and third parties on that front. But that is a big, big piece of work. I would just call out actually um, the, the the team at Hope and Glory. Um, they were I, I was really impressed by the the um humility of our discussion around this so yes they've undertaken a lot of work in the last year 18 months and they've really sort of grappled with their own biases and and, and shone a lens on themselves but they were um very very humble and honest about um how much more there is to do and i think that's probably um 
the, the lens through which the whole industry could do with um, uh, navel gazing in, in order to, to identify how much more um, we, we need to, uh, to address. I guess on a positive note, um, just before I, I, I close on this point, I do think um, if we are wholesale moving more towards remote working and many other forms of flexible working, that means by definition that we're opening ourselves up to, to far greater diversity of candidates. And that is a positive. That's a, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, I think there's a huge uh, gap at the moment between where we should be on diversity and where we are. And you see agencies win awards uh, 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 in the industry and they go up on stage and it'll be like one guy with a beard and sort of the Stepford wives with them all looking pretty identical, uh, you know, 15 members of staff that all look the same. And it's, um, it is something our industry has a, a real problem with. Um, I've joined the um, BME pros group where I think I'm maybe an ethnic minority within that group. So somehow I get in it. Um, and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Bananuka is, um, she, she's really good at sort of calling, uh, you know, calling bullshit on some of the stuff in the industry and saying there's a long way to go. And it's, um, uh, you know, I've watched her on panels where she said, you know, agents want loads of, uh, Carlton's, but not many, uh, not not many fresh princes um, and things like that. That they that she really, you know, we should be trying to bring in uh, a much more diverse urban uh, group into the industry, and, and we're not really. Um, so it's it's an area that that does need very drastic change in the, in, in the industry. Um, and uh, in, in this process, you're seeing agencies start to get better at this area, but uh, there's a long way to go. Thank you. No, this is a very, very good point. Um, are there any other areas where you think perhaps um, the industry needs to, to up its game? I mean, we spoke about um, ethnic diversity, but um, gender diversity, are there any um, uh, particular thoughts on on that. Obviously, um, uh, Alison and, and Jane involved in, in women in PR uh, and our mentoring scheme is going to be uh, launching in the not too distant future as well. Um, how do you feel progress is being made on, on on this area? This this is an interesting one actually. I'm reading more widely, not just about our industry, but um, where we find ourselves with the pandemic. On the one hand, and maybe this is overly simplistic, but if we are expecting this to be a leap forward in, in sort of work, uh, um, workplace agility, surely there's a significant upside in terms of gender parity, and I, and I support that. Um, however, there could be an, an opposite argument to that if we look at the um, often, and statistically uh, supported, the often unequal um, distribution of sort of home operations, um, be that family or, or other, that often falls disproportionately on, on the heads of, and, and shoulders of, of women. Um, so I, again, I'm, I'm going to err on my optimistic side, and I think the huge momentum behind home working and flexible working at the moment will, um, will, will propel us forward, um, but there is the potential sort of watch out of um, if, if there are new lines drawn at home while we're spending so much time at home that, that will um, hold, hold back some of that progress for both men and women. I would agree with that. And I think uh, uh, the recent, recent weeks has proven that where people who are uh, very responsible, 
big tasks on their professional agenda, uh, trying to uh, juggle home and work, which they've always had to juggle, but now they're juggling with it all in the same building at the same time. Um, it's been good meeting some people's children on podcasts and Zoom calls and also their pets, but the reality behind the smiles is that I think it's a, a huge challenge. So I agree with you, Jane, I think. Uh, but on a broader note, uh, look, the industry is acutely aware of this. We are making progress, but as we say in Women in PR, uh, it's not enough and we've just got to keep it on the agenda constantly. I'm still dismayed that of the proportion of women that enter the profession, still far too few make it to the top. And that's something that we, in partnership with you at PR Week, just need to keep banging on about, frankly, because it needs to, needs to improve. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so moving on to the final question, really. Um, and we, we've touched on it, obviously, the, um, the impact of, of, of the pandemic. I was wondering, if we kind of fast forward to you know th this time next year, let's assume that the pandemic is, is completely behind us and agencies uh, and in-house departments have had a chance to uh, evolve what they do. What do you think will be the, the, the biggest changes um, from the among the best employers? Um, I, I think you're going to see a, a huge change, particularly in London, because um, em employees will want to... Uh, work from home more often and I think that will cause a real change in, in terms of where people live and how they do their commute and, and what have you um, so I, I think you'll see a huge change in that respect and I think you'll see a change from clients as well where, uh, whereas in the past they might have got on the tube to get to you to do a one hour meeting and it's kind of face to face um, I can see uh, more clients going you know what Like, let's just do this as a zoom call and then i don't have to waste uh, an hour commuting at the same time so um so i i, I think you're going to see some huge changes um or, uh, and that will have knock-on effects a bit on the social side of the profession but i would also hope that we um that we get back to <laughs> the social side I, I can't wait for that i think i think we're going to see a lovely marriage of um, sort of head and heart actually taking some of these practices forward. So um, quite rightly, Alison, as you articulated, um, there's a huge positive to the bottom line in terms of, um, you know, the, 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 the physical workplace and, um, and how we may negotiate, renegotiate, um, you know, um, office contracts. Um, we don't need to be in the office full time um, and nor actually will we want to because we've, we've, we've re-acclimatised. And building on your point, Peter, I think there was some, some, I feel like there was some interesting data in the last 12 months um, from some of the virtual PR agencies about the upside to removing your commute. And I, for one, have massively, massively felt that. And we're seeing lots of data about people sleeping more and commuting less and exercising more and so on. So again, there's that combination of uh, sort of hard-nosed business efficiency with actually the, sort of the, the human gains. Um, and actually Imogen Osborne of the, the Pulse business um, did does regular polls on, on um, sort of popular topics and actually this week was all about how will life change post-corona um, for our industry specifically and not surprisingly the two things that, that were uh, pulled out was more homeworking and um, and more time spent with loved ones, and obviously the two two are interrelated. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, I just to, just to echo what you've both said, I absolutely agree there will be less travel. There will be less travel. Um, why would you? I don't do. But why would you do a two hour commute um, when you don't need to? So I think there'll be less travel. And by the way, aligned with the potential uh, cost savings of uh, lesser office space, I don't know about you, but how have you thought about how much money you're not spending every day at the moment? Uh, those coffees, that salad. Uh, I mean, the reality is, I think that uh, whilst there will be a desire for people to get together, most definitely, um, I think we will travel less. And I also believe that that doesn't just relate to a daily commute on a train. I think we will get on planes less. Mm. Frankly, that was already on the agenda. And we have proven if you can see clean air above Beijing, then there has to be a reason why we cut back on some of these endless uh, business trips that frankly don't achieve much more than a great Zoom call can achieve. So I think it has huge implications for the transport industry, but I think that we will be at home more and we will repurpose the time that we've saved into more positive things relating to our home, our families and our own health. Mm. Great. Well, thank you. Um, some really, really fascinating comments there, everyone. And I think we've just about run out of time. So uh, I'd really like to uh, thank you all, Alice and Jane and Peter, for taking part and to everyone for listening. Um, have a good day. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with John Harrington. Brought to you by PR Week. If you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a nice review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.